Good morning, everybody, and welcome to uh, another ESOP Center uh, webinar um, uh, hosted by uh, my company, Zien, and the uh, FS Club. Um, and we have with us uh, today, as part of his series, David Craddock, um, uh, to talk about the case for employee share ownership, um, which should be a very interesting talk. Now, uh, David really is one of the world's leading experts in employee um, share ownership. Um, he's an independent consultant spe specializing in the in the topic. Um, and um, he really is one of the leading recognized authorities um, on this subject. Um, uh, and he is the author of the Tolly's Guide to Employee Share Schemes um, uh, and many other uh, papers and books on the topic. And I think many of you uh, know him and are uh, familiar with his work, which is one of the reasons why you're here. Um, I'm your chairman today. I'm Ian Harris. I'm one of the directors of the of the Zian Group, um, and it's an absolute pleasure uh, once again to to host uh, David for this uh, for this session. Um, this is a fairly easy job for me at this stage because really it's my job to just uh, introduce David and then get out of the way. Um, the agenda is straightforward. Um, my introduction. I hope it won't be as long as five minutes. Um, then we'll have the keynote address uh, from. Uh, uh, David for about um, uh, 20 or 25 minutes. Um, during that time, we would love you to uh, send in questions using the GoToWebinar uh, system for questions. We've got 15 minutes uh, for questions and answers at the end. This is very often um, uh, uh, people's favorite part of the uh, of the event where we can get a little bit deeper into some some of the topics and uh, if you have some burning questions for David uh, please please do send them in David loves answering answering those questions um, please do use the go to webinar uh, facility for asking questions um, if you send me or David an email in the background we, we would be delighted to receive emails from you but we will receive them after the webinar and won't be able to address them during the webinar um, so during the webinar we'll be looking uh, at the questions that come in um, this way. Just before I hand over to David, I would like to say a word of thanks um, to our sponsors uh, at the FS Club and also to the members of the ESOP Center. Um, this is a very uh, warm and generous um, uh, collection of, uh, of, of clients and organizations um, who um, have um, allowed us to have uh, this webinar uh, program uh, to cover a, a huge variety of topics, including uh, employee share uh, ownership schemes. And we're really very, very grateful to uh, uh, to these Financial Services Club uh, members and sponsors, and also to the ESOP Center members and sponsors. Um, uh, the, the, these are these are they. Many of you will be uh, here today listening, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and uh, we really are very grateful to you. We wouldn't be able to do this without your uh, uh, with, without your help and your support, and we are um, thrilled to be getting so so much of all of that. Um, so, uh, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to David. I will um, switch off my microphone and uh, camera to give David uh, front and centre stage. But uh, take my word for it, I am here, um, and I will be gathering in the questions, um, listening very carefully to uh, to what David is saying uh, while David speaks. Um, David, the floor is yours. Well, thank you, Ian. Thank you ever so much for that introduction. And thank you also to the sponsors. We're very grateful for their support. And today we're talking about the case for employee share ownership, colon, the heart of the matter revealed. Let's go to the next slide. 
Oh, that's introducing uh, my practice, David Craddock Consultancy Services. Ian's already done that. So without more ado, let's get into the heart of the matter, the heart of the matter revealed. So it's important to um, set out before you at the outset what I consider to be the underlying principles, the, the prism through which the whole of this presentation should be seen, what I call the core revelation. What is the, the heart of the matter, the core revelation of employee ownership? Well, it's important to look at it from the point of view of the mindset of the employee and the mindset of the company. So from the perspective of the employee mindset, this lies right at the very heart of the matter, the core revelation. The employees will be more inclined to develop capital value for the company if they have a stake in the capital value that they are creating. I will say that again, it is so, so important. The employees will be more inclined to develop capital value for the company if they have a stake in the capital value that they are creating. In other words, if they are part of the employee share scheme arrangements and they can align their interest with the interest of the existing shareholders. But what about the perspective of the existing company's shareholders, their mindset? We've got to bring the two mindsets together, the mindset of the employees and the mindset of the existing company shareholders. Well, let me illustrate that um, through uh, the, the question which I've set out on this slide, uh, a question which supports the principle employee ownership is integral to the economics of business growth. The, the, the existing shareholders are wanting to grow their company in order to enhance the value of the company. And therefore, the, the germane question, the pertinent question is this. Is it better to own 100 percent of a company worth, say, 500,000 pounds for illustration's sake, or to own 75 percent of a company worth five million? The answer is, well, a no brainer, is it not? And how does the company grow from one to the other? How does the company grow from a company worth 500,000 to a company worth uh, 5 million? Motivation is the answer. Employee motivation at right at the heart of that employee motivation lies the employee share scheme. So yes, it is better to have 75% of a company worth considerably more than a smaller company where you actually own 100%. Let's go to the next slide. So, yes, the design and the structure of the employee share scheme. Employee share schemes is truly a multidisciplinary subject. And to be a consultant, a practitioner in the realm of employee share schemes, you need to have knowledge of a whole plethora of laws and regulations. And the, the, the greater your mastery of these areas of, of law and practice, the stronger will be your consultancy, securities laws, financial services laws, tax laws, employment laws, trust laws, data protection laws, with due application in all the countries in which the employees are based. So if we have a, a UK holding company, let's say, with subsidiaries in France and Spain and the US, we need to understand these laws as they relate to all those countries. When you're actually designing or reviewing uh, an employee share scheme, and, and over the last um, there it is, nearly 40 years now, I've designed many employee share schemes and, and reviewed many employee share schemes that have come to me that other people have created, whether it be through my helpline or, or whatever means. It's always easy in the first instance to identify the broad category in which a share scheme arises. It will either be a share gifting scheme or a share purchase scheme or a share option scheme. So a share option scheme is, of course, a, a form of deferred purchase scheme. And there are many nuances and permutations and combinations on those themes, but in broad terms, gifting scheme, purchase scheme, or share option scheme. Um, in the UK, we have the so-called UK tax advantage schemes. Historically, we've referred to them as the UK tax approved schemes. This is where we have a bespoke piece of legislation specifically enacted by parliament 
in order to actually facilitate the introduction of an employee share scheme. The equivalent in the US are the, the US uh, tax qualifying schemes or US tax qualifying plans, as they call them over there. If we use the word scheme in the US, of course, they, they think we're referring to uh, some, some uh, activity of the mafia, which we're clearly not. So we call them plans in order to uh, bridge that cultural gap. And really, they're the only two countries in the world which have this thoroughly comprehensive set of um, tax relieving arrangements which are built into statutes. We, we, we do have various reliefs and exemptions in other parts of the world, but nothing to compare with the US and, and the UK. And those reliefs will either defer tax liabilities or they'll substitute the more punitive income tax regime for the less punitive capital gains tax regime. Or best of all, they will provide um, exemptions provided exemptions from tax, provided certain conditions are met. Ironically, the one country in the world where employee share schemes is de facto compulsory, courtesy of the Black Empowerment um, legislation, is, is South Africa. And, and I go down there from time to time, and we're working with um, non-tax relieving legislation in the main, although of, of late, uh, certain tax reliefs have been introduced, but nothing to compare with that plethora of tax reliefs and exemptions which we have in the UK, the US. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Uh, the definition. Um, and here I'm looking at the human resources dimension. So I've talked about the, the, the laws, but so important, of course, is the human resources dimension and the, and the communication. I, I provided a definition here that employee share ownership is the establishment of an entitlement for the employees to participation in the benefits that flow from a share interest in the share capital of the company in which they're employed. That might be a, a, a direct actual share interest or it might be a share option over shares in the company. So let's come on to um, the strength of, of the communication strategy in this next um, little, little bullet, the, the key question. The employee communication strategy combined with the effective human resources management and strong administrative structures is the lubricant that connects the employee workforce to the employee share scheme. So when all the uh, all the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed, it's the communication strategy, the management of the human resource uh, dimension, which makes or breaks the success of the scheme. It's connecting the employee share scheme to the minds of the employee workforce. And so the key question, therefore, is how does the human brain think? The human brain of the employees think. How does the human heart of the employees beat in response to the employee share ownership initiative. Now there is significant, very significant research on the effectiveness of employee share schemes coming out of the US and the UK. I have uh, produced uh, a very detailed paper on that research, which is included on the ESOP Center website, if ever of you want to avail yourself of that facility. But in summary terms, it comes down to this, identification and involvement, the identification of the employees with the business and their sense of involvement in the business through their involvement in the employee share scheme, motivation and incentive, loads of research done on that, which actually leads to enhanced productivity and in turn enhanced profitability of the business. Um, and that of course is both on the income side and the expenditure side. When employees are involved in an employee share scheme, they're aware of expanding the top line income, but also aware of actually making savings on the expenditure and keeping the expenditure cost base of the company down, therefore widening the margin at, uh, at, at both sides. And also recruitment and retention. Employee share schemes are powerful in, in recruiting employees and, and once recruited, retaining them. And indeed at very senior levels, and not necessarily very senior levels, at uh, middle management levels and, and uh, sometimes below, employees will expect these days 
to actually be part of an employee share scheme arrangement. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So um, these are two concepts I wish to introduce to you in a, in a, a new novel way, maybe. But they're two concepts which come out of the work of Louis Kelso, who introduced the, the first modern-day ESOP back in 1956 in Palo Alto, California. The case company was Peninsula Newspapers. Louis Kelso was an economist and, and, a, and a lawyer, uh, practiced in both those disciplines and develop these concepts, firstly, of identity of interest, whereby the employees through the employee share scheme can, can unite around the totem of the developing share value with everybody who's involved in the development of the business, whether it be other employees or, or management employees, or indeed, very importantly, the existing shareholders. And, and to, to illustrate this principle today, I've come up with uh, this, this uh, idea, which I take from uh, the, um, the French philosopher Voltaire, those of you acquainted with classical literature, a beautiful phrase, let us cultivate our garden together. And I've identified there the um, uh, portion of Candide uh, by Voltaire where it arises. Candide said, neither need you tell me that we must take care of the garden. The illustration being, of course, we must take care of our company. You were in the right, said Pangloss, for when man was put into the Garden of Eden, it was an intent to dress it and to prove that man was not born to be idle. So we're not idle in, in our companies. We work hard in our companies to cultivate our garden. And we unite in that endeavor around that developing share value, the identity of interest, that, that concept which Louis Kelso gave us uh, so beautifully back in his, um, his writings on, on binary economics in the 1950s and, and 60s, and indeed going into to the 70s. Then the wages of capital, the wages of capital. So this is where employees for ownership provides us with the opportunity to widen the remuneration base through which employees are rewarded. Yes, uh, historically, employees rewarded through wages, capital, pay. But through involvement in the employee share scheme, they have the opportunity to be rewarded through dividends and indeed through capital gain. Um, and to conclude this slide, I've, I've included um, a, a quote from a, a very famous football manager of, of many years back, Brian Clough very controversial football manager in the United Kingdom. But he used to say this when he was instructing his players on how to play the beautiful game, as we call it, the game of, of football or, or soccer, as they refer to it in the US. And indeed, we sometimes refer to it here. Look after the ball and the ball will look after you. Be skillful with the ball. Take care of the ball. Caress the ball. Pass the ball in a, in a beautiful way to the other players and the ball will look after you. So I take that illustration. I said I've got some novel illustrations for you this morning. Look after your employee share ownership program and look after your employees. And yes, your employee share ownership program and your employees will look after you. Where would I be without my employees? Okay, employee share ownership, look after that program, look after the employees and they will look after you. Let's go to the, let's go to the next slide. What I call the human resources dynamic. This is all part of going right into the heart of the matter, understanding how employee share schemes works. So important, this human potential dynamic. And I've, I've split this up into three points. Uh, the release of entrepreneurial spirit within companies. So you want your employees to, to be working for you, but thinking like employees, yes? Contributing ideas and creativity to the business and being thoroughly accountable, resolving that potential conflict between um, having the freedom to create and also being accountable. So the release of entrepreneurial spirit within companies. Secondly, the realization of the human potential of employees. So here we're appealing to the, the natural human instinct of the employees, which encourages co-creation with other employees 
at all levels of, of the business. And I picked out here a classical reference from Greek philosophy, Aristotle. Aristotle used to talk about enlightened self-interest. Well, it's in the enlightened self-interest of the employees to, to, to give of their efforts and their endeavors to, put, to, to develop the business. Remember, remember that first maxim from the first slide, that the employees are gonna be more inclined to develop capital value for the company if they have a stake in the capital value that they are creating. So that's to be contrasted with Plato who talked about um, a sacrificial approach to, to life. Well, in employee ownership, Aristotle wins every time because of the appeal to that natural human instinct and line self-interest is, is the fuel that, that, that drives the car. We, we, we refer to it uh, within, um, within our office. Enlightened self-interest, the fuel that drives the car. Employee ownership is the fuel that drives the car of the business forward to higher and higher levels of prosperity and growth and development. And then this, this final point on the human potential dynamic, the regulation of business through progressive employment empowerment policies. So all the, all the evidence shows that employee works best when it's combined with, with a, an oppressive, progressive approach to, to training, a meaningful approach to performance management, uh, involvement in decision-taking through uh, works councils and works groups and quality circles and performance management, performance quality management. So are these legal requirements? No, no, the involvements in employee activity that the company has a choice to introduce and then the employees respond accordingly. And so I've included this, this quote from Edmund Burke, Manners are more important than laws because it is upon manners that laws depend. So when we're actually fostering the human potential dynamic within our employee ownership com company, we're actually introducing policies to encourage progressive and, and, and effective behavior, good behavior, if you like, to develop the value of the business. Next slide, please, Ian. Thank you. So um, where do we go for the origins of employee ownership? Well, my research has taken me into many channels over the last 40 years, but uh, I've not really found anything earlier than the Commonwealth Protectorate, where an individual by the name of Peter Cornelius Plochoy, nonetheless, wrote it very extensively about um, uh, the concept of, of, of cooperation in the workplace, akin, of course, to the concept of the Commonwealth, which was being developed at the time by Oliver Cromwell, uh, the Lord Protector of all England, uh, at the uh, a very, very important time in the development of, uh, of our history here in the UK. So Plockley established one of the first cooperative commonwealths, a, a, a business commonwealth, you, you might call it, uh, a worker type uh, cooperative. He did this in 1659. And it, it is uh, said that Plockley's writings inspired the establishment of the Scott Bader Commonwealth in 1951. Uh, and indeed influenced uh, John Spenden Lewis, the founder of the John Lewis Partnership. I think that was earlier, I think that was somewhere around 19, 1929, I think. Um, uh, yes, 1929, at the, the start of the, the Great Depression. Um, in the UK, um, uh, prior to 1978, when the first profit sharing employee share scheme was introduced, employee share ownership was known as the quiet revolution. It quietly developed. Um, spirited individuals, sometimes motivated by Christian ethics, sometimes by humanitarian ethic, uh, sometimes by genuine um, uh, care for their employees, but uh, a very um, uh, focused approach to developing um, industrial relations in a way which was thoroughly ethical. And it was called the quiet revolution. People plugging away at it, but never any major breakthrough on a national scale. Let's go to the next slide. 
Okay, the South Metropolitan Gas Company, uh, 1889, I've included this case. Um, this is the first employee share scheme of any um, recognizable employee share scheme de design that we would recognize in the modern era that I've actually found in history of the United Kingdom. And obviously, United Kingdom founded in 1920. We're going back to you know, Great Great Britain. Uh, 1889, the South Metropolitan Gas Company, it, was, it, it recorded the scheme in its minutes under the name co-partnership. So let me just take you through the elements. And you'll you'll recognize that the elements that, that we sometimes see in various types of share schemes today. Under the arrangement, part of the employee's bonus was invested in the shares of the company. Do we recognize that yet? The, the partnership model for the share incentive plan, I think. It wasn't called that in 1889. Uh, some 10 years later, in 1898, 1899, the company introduced elective employee directors from those employees who had completed at least 10 years service and had at least 180 pounds invested in company shares. So involving them in the decision-making of the business, an empowerment policy, surely, uh, an archetypal um, uh, uh, empowerment policy, bringing them, bringing them to be involved in company decision taking. And the scheme developed with certain guarantees on retention under which the employees were not so the shares were not sold without permission. The employees had to obtain the permission of the company to sell their shares. And at the same time, the employees were encouraged to buy more shares. Think of it in the modern era. Buy one, get one free. Wasn't called that in, in 1889 or 1899. But that's the concept, buy one, get one free. Uh, they were encouraged to buy more shares from their own resources. On leaving the company or on death, the employees were bought back by the company from the employees. So that, that established quite an important principle that the employee share scheme is designed to motivate the employees while they're in the involvement of the company. If they leave the company, then they forfeit their shares. And what value they forfeit for the shares depends upon the design of the scheme arrangements. Let's go on to the next slide. Let's go on to the next slide. Okay, International Congress of Profit Sharing was held in Paris in 1889. Was this coincidental? There is some evidence that representatives from the South Metropolitan Gas Company were actually present at that conference. Uh, it established some very, very important principles. It established that um, employee, share, employee share ownership to be effective must be set within the context of industrial partnership and employee education, the all-important communication plan. At the outset, when you launch the employee share scheme and then of course during the ongoing life of the scheme and secondly it established employee share schemes and profit sharing as sister policies yes as sister policies ultimately of course coming to fruition in 1978 when the Liblap Pact introduced the profit sharing employee share scheme the first tax approved employee share scheme to find its way onto the sachet book next slide so the modern day experience well we have that Liblap Pact experience in 1978 uh, Margaret Thatcher, of course, um, and indeed John Major embraced employee share ownership uh, as a long lost friend. In 1980, the same related share option scheme was an all employee scheme in order to uh, make a, a strong contribution to solving the industrial relations problems of the time. Uh, British Leyland, Red Robbo and all that. Uh, and the 1984 executive share option scheme uh, in order to motivate the, uh, the business activities of senior uh, executives and, and directors. Um, the new labor initiatives through Finance Act 2000, Gordon Brown embraced employee share ownership like a long lost friend. He saw it as, uh, as embracing that ethic of, of hard work, which he'd uh, always believed in through the whole of his life and presumably still does. Um, and also, of course, the, the concept of redistribution, but this time not redistribution through social security, redistribution through the returns for that hard work, that endeavor and that effort. And then we come to the 
that the uh, the coalition, the um, conservative uh, Liberal Democrat coalition led by David Cameron and Nick Clegg, and we find that the embracing of the so-called enterprise reliefs, uh, enterprise investment scheme, um, enterprise management incentives, and of course entrepreneurs reliefs with a special entrepreneurs relief for enterprise management incentives. Let's go to the next slide. Um, yes, um, the golden era, we might call it, the coalition governments, which introduced, uh, well, the shares for rights scheme. That didn't um, that didn't last long. But what has lasted longer is the 19 uh, is the 2014 initiative, the Employee Ownership Trust Arrangement. We also had in that period um, an evolution of the employment related securities legislation, legislation first introduced in 2003. Next slide. Okay, yeah, so um, throughout the, this period, the, the concept of the employee share trust, what I call the historical employee share trust, as opposed to the employee ownership trust developed as the, the market for the shares, working alongside the employee share schemes and, and providing a market for the shares in the absence of a recognized stock exchange market, which is available to the quoted sector. Let's go to the next slide. Um, political objectives vary. Um, under the Conservative Party, there was an emphasis upon this identity of interest in industrial relations, improving industrial relations, but also a recognition of employee share schemes, providing an opportunity and a contribution toward self-sufficiency and self-reliance for individual employees. The beauty of employee share schemes is that it combines um, individual return with cooperative type working, team working, as we, uh, as we love to call it. Um, uh, Labour Party, well, there. Their main concern was productivity and profitability, as expressed in a, a very well-written paper by Gordon Brown at the time. Um, enterprise with fairness, facilitating redistribution through wealth creation. Then when we come to the coalition, encouraging enterprise, uh, helping startup businesses, and minimizing the bureaucracy attached to employee share schemes to make them more accessible to companies and more workable for companies. Next slide. One of the wonders of employee share scheme is it has political consensus right across the, the House of Commons for the conservative uh, political persuasion. Well, it represents pro pro proprietorial rights. For the capitalist political persuasion, it represents benefits of ownership. For the liberal political persuasion, individualism and freedom. For the socialist political mindset, well, some form of redistribution of wealth. Consensus political persuasion, a practical basis for unity. And for the economic political persuasion, well, it represents a basis for economic delivery, which is what most people in, in business, including myself, are interested in. Comparison with the USA and, uh, and Europe, well, we have that great example I've already alluded to, Peninsula Newspapers, which I've expounded on through various other webinars developed by uh, Louis Kelso. And of course, in Europe, with the, um, the disintegration of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and the formal enactment of the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the way was open for market economics to survive and with it, um, employee share ownership. Let's go to the next slide. Um, the forerunner of the subject. Okay, US. Why why has employee share ownership developed so powerfully in the US and why is it a forerunner ahead of any activity in the UK or anywhere else in the world? Well, let me tell you a little story briefly about immigration into the US. So the immigrants go in mainly from the East Coast. Some come in from the West Coast, um, typically those of Spanish orientation. But coming in from the West Coast, people from all dispositions and ethnic groups from, from Europe, uh, looking for uh, success in the new world of the Americas. So the immigrants come in, they take the land, 
They keep coming in. They take more of the land. Eventually, the whole of the land is taken. But the immigrants keep coming. So what do you do? Do you fight over the land? Of course you don't. This is the new world. This is the new world of the Americas. No, you enter into cooperative arrangements as to how to work the land together. And that's the that's the reason that that's I've researched this heavily, but both through writings in the US and in and in the UK and Europe. This is the reason why America was the forerunner uh, in employee share ownership. It has this powerful history of uh, working together. Let's go to the next slide. So an electronics company based in Northern California. This is an interesting case study. This is a company which introduced employee share ownership in order to develop um, uh, corporate glue. Uh, an interesting facet of that particular case study is um, uh, most of the shares are actually concentrated in the hands of employees, but it's quoted on NASDAQ. So you get supplies, an uneven supply of shares going onto the market. Another case from the US, uh, a circuit boards manufacturer based in Silicon Valley, um, following in many ways a, a, a UK model, but also establishing a very inventive scheme which allowed for trading in the shares. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, um, what about uh, what, what about the, the, the positioning in Europe? Well, France, of course, has long had uh, a very, very powerful scheme, the French qualifying plan and a history of savings. Um, and indeed, my message for Europe is um, we can't introduce a, a, a monolithic uniform scheme across the whole of Europe. What we have to do is we have to encourage the principles of employee ownership within the European community and then allow each individual country to develop the schemes which would reflect their culture and be effective within their, uh, their business environment. Um, next slide. Thank you, Ian. I think this is the uh, last slide. That's something about the French experience. And the final point about the social market economy in Germany. When I was talking with Ian actually last month, he said, I, I mentioned to him about the work I've done on the social market economy in, in Germany. And he said, dig out your notes, David, see if there's any relevance here. So I've tagged it on at the end. Uh, th this idea of um, uh, what um, uh, Jeremy Lehman in his book, The Political Economy of West Germany, calls the deproletization and decentralization of the German economy. By deproletization, he means inclusiveness. And by decentralization, he means individual empowerment. Again, testimony to the natural fit of employee share schemes within the social market model. So that's that's my, my case for employee share ownership. The heart of the matter revealed. Um, questions. I'm always keen to, to, to help you as much as I possibly can with questions. Thank you, Ian. David, thank you so much. Um, that really was a, a, a fascinating talk. And um, to some extent, you've covered um, the area that I would have uh, wanted to plough with my questions by preempting pre that with this business about empowerment and, and involvement. And if, we, if we've got some time, um, I might come back to, to, the, to that and ask you some, um, some, some, some more questions about that side of it. But you've covered it really nicely in, in your talk. And we've still got time for, uh, for a few questions. Um, there's one question here from Susan, um, uh, your fan. She says it's a great presentation. She would like to know, um, do you think or how can employee share ownership um, help to enrich businesses during a, a difficult time like this um, uh, COVID-19 uh, pan, 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 pandemic? So this is a cup half full question mm. about, you know, in, in, in difficult times, how can employee share ownership um, 
uh, uh, help to it to enrich businesses. I've got one or two cup half empty questions. <laughs> so this is a this is a follow, cup half, isn't it? Uh, this thank is you, cup half full one. <laughs> thank you, Susan, for that question. Uh, it's a great great question, um, and I can give you some very practical answers. Um, as companies seek to recover from the impact of COVID and in the UK, the, the, the furlough period and the equivalent in the US, um, companies may not have the resources to pay competitive salaries, but they will have the opportunity to actually introduce employee share schemes. So th this is this is the widening of the remuneration base. This is what Louis Kelso all those years back called the, the wages of capital. The, the wages might be at a lower level, but we can actually give employees um, uh, employee share scheme activity with the opportunity to receive dividends and also capital gain. Um, there's, all, there's also a more subtle point as well, which comes out of um, the fact that employee share schemes uh, policies work best alongside um, employee empowerment policies, uh, you know, like decision taking and, and progressive training schemes and so forth, um, quality circles, whatever it might be. And this is personal responsibility. Um, the evidence shows that employee share, share ownership encourages personal responsibility in the workplace. Well, have we ever needed personal responsibility in the workplace more than we do now? You know, the, the social distancing, the washing of hands, the wearing of masks, the being very, very careful not to not to contract the disease. So hopefully that gives you some flavor, Susan, as to um, how employee share schemes is very relevant in, in this time. There's also, of course, um, companies coming back to the UK. The supply chain coming back to the UK and the supply chain coming back to, to the US from, from China and various other companies in the Far East um, with, I'm hoping, um, you know, increase in employment levels as a consequence. We need employee share schemes in order to motivate those, those starter businesses. Hope that helps anyway. Thank you for that, David. Um, here's the first of the cup half empty um, okay. questions, um, uh, which is thinking about um, companies that already have employee share schemes um, and, and, and have made uh, a large number of or might have made a large number of redundancies um, as, as a result of what's, what's going on or indeed at any time of, uh, of recession or difficulty. Do employees being made redundant have any legal rights to retain their employee shares or options? And it's quite a detailed question. Some companies have clauses written into their employment contracts saying that employees who leave must surrender all their unvested shares and options to the company. Um, this is especially the case in smaller ones um, uh, where they're worried about control implications. Um, and, uh, uh, and do you have any views on what best practice might be in this regard? Yes, inter interesting. Um, it, uh, the first part of the question is, is a structural answer. It depends on um, uh, what is stated in the employee share scheme contract, whether it be a share option contract or a share purchase contract. What does it say? Um, normally, the employee share scheme contract will be separate from the employment contract. This this is this is purposeful. All design or all practitioners um, advise that element of design so that if employees leave, they don't have massive claims upon the company for uh, employee share scheme benefits foregone, future employee share scheme benefits foregone. So that's that's a structural part uh, to my answer. Um, okay, em employees who are made redundant. Just remind me again of the second part of the answer of the question, um, Ian. Uh, so the second part of the question: Do you do you, do you have any views on, on on what good practice might be in this? Regard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's there, are, there some, are, there, are there some general points you can make about good practice, or okay. you just have to look at these things case by case? Yeah. The historical, the historically, the, the the best practice has been seen to recognise that employee share schemes are for individuals whilst they're in the employment of the company, so that when they leave the company. 
um, they leave the employee share scheme. Uh, now, as so to what value they take with them, clearly they, 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 they have hopefully developed some value for the company whilst they've been a member of the scheme. So the Articles of Association will typically lay out the basis for the sale of the shares, whether it be a pro rata market value or minority interest market value or a position to be negotiated between employee and company on leaving. So all of that is, is around in the market and, and, and we do that for, for our clients. Um, increasingly, there's been a voice to say employees should keep their shares. Uh, I'm not saying that's a majority voice and it's not one necessarily that I advocate, but there are practitioners who do advocate that and it's particularly relevant to companies that are working towards um, a, a sale of the company, a trade sale at some point in the future, and value is not going to accrue to that company until that point of sale. But those employees who have left will have contributed in the early stages, maybe in the midpoint stages, to the development of that value, and therefore some recognition should be given. So the argument goes to them keeping their shares once they've left the company. So it does depend very much on the company. Employee share schemes is a very individual thing. We, we do actually do, you know, by company, we do actually have these, these tax approved schemes and tax qualifying plans in, in, in the US, as, as they call them there. But it's always a question of bespoking the arrangement to be, to be suitable for the company in which you're working. There is a certain uniformity amongst the quoted companies these days. There wasn't when I started in the subject all those decades ago, but within the private companies, there's, there's room for enormous um, innovation and creativity and, and bespoke type uh, arrangements by company. Yeah, I, I, I find this, this side of it absolutely fascinating. I mean, our, our own experience at, at Zien was to set up a, a trust structure for um, yeah. uh, share incentives that actually is a is a very broad church it's not just uh, you know theoretically it's not just for employees uh, associates could participate through through the trust structure as well although of course when we ended up uh, actually forming a, a an employee share ownership scheme um, and take advantage of the of, of the tax regulations mm -hmm. then that bit of it um, was was limited through the tax regulations to uh, to the employees, and in reality, we we have never used the the broader church of the trust that we that we set up to. Uh, your sorry, I say never. Uh, up till this point in time, we have not used um, mm. uh, that that element of the structure. But the but the the, the, the trust deed is still there, um, and our feeling when we first set the thing up, and I'm talking about 25 years ago. Um, and and, and uh, you know, our practice is a little bit different now from the way that it was then. But our thinking then and our philosophy then was was to think about people working with an organisation like ours as a as a um, as, as a wider thing than just employment. One of the things that we were reacting to in the professional world was this notion that you were either an employee who was working, you know heart and soul 24 7 for the for the professional practice or you were an associate who was on a, a list somewhere and wasn't really part of us and we would never uh, you know, we certainly wouldn't want very much to do with you but if we happened to need your specialism at some point we we might just work with you on one project and we felt that there was a, a whole world in between that that, that that we wanted to get involved with and we've done i think well at doing that uh, but we have never actually moved our um, share incentives down down that that line up 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 until now. Maybe maybe it's time is yet to come. Well, it's, it's an interesting observation, Ian, and thank you for sharing that. Um, the involvement of um, self-employed consultants or self-employed contractors is not unusual uh, for private companies, and um, uh, we can actually introduce those arrangements on 
um, a tax efficient basis, working with the general tax legislation, not the bespoke tax legislation. Um, in the US, I, I've, I've seen um, increasingly in the last 10 years, uh, a, a desire to actually involve um, suppliers in a share scheme, which, which is a much more advanced, all-inclusive type approach. And, and the whole concept of employee share schemes, if you remember from that identity of interest illustration that I used from Louis Kelso, is to unite everybody involved in the company around the totem of the developing share value. So it's, it's thoroughly consistent with that ethic. Uh, I, I, I agree. And actually, I, I uh, made that little example really to seed uh, the next question, which I think will be the last question, which is a fascinating question that's come in from John Hicks, um, where he's, he's, he's asking, in a post-COVID-19 world, would he be interested in your view on extending employee control as part of new business models? And he's mm -hmm. saying, in his experience, share benefits um, also have the ability to influence um, and, 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 uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and encourage diversity. And that can be beneficial to, to, to the company beyond the financial in, in, in incentives. And you just like your, your, your reflections on that. Yes. I, I mean, employee share schemes and, and, and share schemes generally, whether it be for employees or non-employees, um, is, is ultimately a business decision. The, the intention is to motivate people toward higher levels of uh, productivity and profitability. But the fact of the matter is, of course, it contributes to the healthy environment in which people are operating, the open environment, the trust between employees and, and management. And, and, and yes, in this post-COVID world, we're looking at different demographic factors, different sociological factors of how people are working, increasingly people working from home. So that, whereas they may have been working in an office, let's say 10, 20 people together, um, they're now working from their homes. And the expectation is that some of that will continue um, for a long time and maybe forever. Um, so if you're going to have people working in um, different units, i.e. their own homes, you still want to maintain that unity and maybe some compensatory element. Uh, by compensatory, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about um, ethically, uh, some compensatory element of not working together physically in order to maintain that sense of unity could well be. Um, more employee share schemes to bind them together, working from the different units of their own homes. So there's a lot of thinking that I, I, I'm putting in to, to, to actually how employee share schemes um, can, can have new manifestations in this in, in this post-COVID world. I think I think there's also a recognition that um, uh, you know there is this heightened sense of personal responsibility required in the workplace. I already alluded that in response to that question from from Susan. Um, uh, and that, again, is pertinent to, to my answer to you there, John. D David, thank you. Thank you very much for that. We're um, pretty much out of time. Um, I would just um, like to spend the last couple of minutes uh, on thank yous. Once again, I would like to thank um, the members and sponsors of the Financial Services Club, the FS Club, um, and um, uh, the uh, member sponsors of the ESOP Centre, um, for uh, enabling us to uh, to do webinars um, like this one. Um, I would also like to just uh, point out to everyone who's who's um, uh, uh, who's out there, if you're not aware of these uh, resources, um, the ESOP Center has Newspad uh, available, excellent in-depth coverage um, of everything you want to know about what's going on in the world of uh, employee share. Um, ownership that's that, that comes out monthly. We have uh, bulletins through FS Club 
um, on a, a myriad of topics, including employee share ownership. I would encourage you to uh, uh, to take a look at those and to subscribe if uh, um, if, if, that, if that interests you. We're getting very, very good feedback on, on, on these bulletins. Um, and just to point out um, a, a few forthcoming uh, webinars, uh, we are uh, doing a slightly reduced service in, um, in, in, in August, but we're still doing plenty. We've got on the 19th um, at lunchtime, uh, the COVID crisis uh, effects on the financial services industry. Um, on the 25th, we've got um, a case study with uh, Fair Banking Foundations um, uh, uh, on accredited ethical banking. If you're a fan of, uh, of, of me, um, I shall be chairing uh, that one. Um, and on the 27th of August uh, at uh, two o'clock, uh, Financial Centers of the World uh, focus on Toronto. Um, uh, so that uh, really just leaves me to thank uh, David. Um, those of you who've been following this little series will know that I've been, uh, because we can't have a round of applause in the way that we would like, I've been trying to find musical instruments to help me to uh, uh, to do this. Um, uh, and as David is, is doing several of these, I'm running out of, of musical instruments. Uh, my, my, my wife suggested that I, uh, that, that, that I play a power chord on my uh, four-string Renaissance guitar. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure that these two things go together. The interesting thing, of course, about the Renaissance guitar uh, for this purpose is that um, uh, power chords are uh, fifths, um, and fifths were very popular in the Renaissance period. So this sound is actually a Renaissance sound as well as a power sound. And I thought I'd go for the, the, the D5 uh, power chord, D for David, uh, and the fifth is A, so DA for David. And it sounds like this in Renaissance style, which is rather a nice sound. Or if you do it as a power chord, thank you very much, David. Wonderful. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> great, great to work with you again. And, uh, and, and you, David. Many thanks to the audience as well. Um, I thank hope you. you enjoyed it. Uh, David, we'll see you again soon. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Thank you.